What a blessing, what a joy it is to, uh, to see this and to see God at work in the life of our young people. It's been a, a really good week. I know at Camp Sefer, a lot of good things have happened. A lot of our students who are at camp are here in the front, and it's, it's good to have them and to rejoice with them. I also want to take a moment before going to the message to thank you for your hospitality uh, for our Texas Baptist Family Gathering that took place this last Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Uh, we had Damaris and 13-2 Initiative since Saturday helping to uh, put together hygiene kits for migrants with churches from outside of the valley. We had um, some of you work registration. It was good to see your faces as you were dealing with people. Some of you were greeters. Some of you were ushers. Some of you were volunteers at our day camp as we took care of children here uh, in our uh, children's center and also uh, for our student congress experience. We, we thank you for being part of that. And then uh, we had all of our worship leaders from our three services uh, come together and put together a band that led worship for uh, the family gathering on Tuesday morning. So in many ways, you, you represent it well in the background or in the foreground. Uh, and I want you to know that, that I'm thankful for you, that I'm thankful that, that you represented Christ well. And I also personally want to thank you because uh, this past year, as I served as president of the Texas uh, Baptist or the Baptist General Convention of Texas, that you supported me. And then here in McAllen, they reelected me. And so you're going to have to put up with me for another year doing that. But thank God that there are term limits. And so... Uh, We'll, uh, we'll only do it one more year, but thank you for your support in that, your prayers, and for allowing me to do that as I continue to be your pastor. Last week, we celebrated 66 years of being a church, Calvary, and out of those 66, I'm celebrating 13 years of being your pastor, and uh, many of you have left nice comments on Facebook about uh, my 13th anniversary, but I want to say to you that I'm thankful for you uh, giving me this opportunity, that, that I love you and I appreciate you. And uh, when people ask me around the state about Calvary, I brag on you. I say, Calvary is a great church and I'm so blessed to be their pastor. And so I just wanna say thank you. I also wanna say a word about uh, the, um, a decision that was made and you may have read some headlines and in some of the newspapers or media about a decision about women in ministry. And I don't like to talk a lot about denominational politics from the pulpit, but I want you to be informed firsthand. I don't want you to hear it from somebody else. And so I'm just gonna take a brief moment just to say something. Uh, back in June, the Southern Baptist Convention met in New Orleans and um, they decided that to disfellowship uh, churches like Saddleback and other churches because they had women pastors in their staff and you know that we have a woman in our pastoral staff, her name's Susan Sosby. She was ordained by Calvary and uh, she performs weddings, funerals. She officiates in the Lord's Supper and baptism. She's past, part of our pastoral team, uh, just like any other pastor in our team. And so um, as the Southern Baptist Convention passed this new amendment to their bylaws saying that any church that has a pastor in their staff uh, is out of fellowship with the Southern Baptist Convention. That pretty much includes us. 
So a lot of questions were coming to uh, this Texas Baptist, the Baptist Convention of Texas, and what they were going to decide. And I, I want to report to you that the messengers decided to affirm women in ministry without necessarily taking the position that every church has to affirm women pastors. In other words, what they affirmed was the autonomy of the local church, that local churches in Texas who, who feel led to have women in their pastoral team are welcome in the BGCT. And churches who don't feel to have women pastors in their team are also welcome in our convention. So we have a big tent, and I'm just so uh, thankful that our messengers were able to take that, make that decision to respect the autonomy of the local church. So I don't know where we stand with the Southern Baptist Convention, but we're good with BGCT. We're good with Texas Baptist. And so uh, I, I reminded in my presidential address, I reminded Texas Baptist that we're not an issue-driven convention, but we're a mission-driven convention. That we are to be unified in diversity. That's what our text was about in Ephesians chapter two, that, that God broke down the dividing wall and brought us together uh, through Jesus Christ. That we are unified in our mission. Uh, that's part of our history. And that we are unified for the kingdom. Uh, and, and the kingdom of God is bigger than one church, than one initiative, than one organization. So as we continue our summer series here at Calvary today, we come to that same topic, that we must be about God's mission, that we must be about God's kingdom. And so the title of the message today is We Are Called to Go. In our series, Follow Jesus, Belong, Believe, and Become, we have been looking at passages from the Gospel of Luke and thinking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So today we come to a story that we find in Luke chapter 10 with verse 1. If you want to go there with me, if you have your Bibles, otherwise it'll be on the screen. The Bible says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he, he began to call people to follow him. Luke tells us the story of Simon and James and John who were fishermen, and he calls them to be fishers of people. And as he continues his journey, he comes to a tax collector's booth and he calls Levi to follow him. And, and so he, he called 12 and beyond the 12, he called others. 
By the time we come to this passage, there are 72 disciples, 72 followers of Jesus. And they are called to believe, they're called to belong, they're called to believe, and they're called to become. They become like Christ, to, to be like him and to be part of his work. So let me share with you four things about this story. There's so much in here that I could probably develop a whole series in this little passage, but let me just share four things with you this morning in the time I have. The, the first one is that following Jesus results in going. You see, going is not an optional part of the program of Jesus. Jesus called his disciples, yes, to belong, yes, to believe, yes, to become, so that they would go and be on mission with him. The group of disciples was never meant to be a private, inward-focused group. The belonging, the fellowship, the, the teaching and the training were meant to make them disciple-makers. Jesus' instruction to his disciples is to pray for more workers. He says the harvest is plentiful. In other words, there are a lot of people out there that are needing to come into the kingdom, but the workers are few. The people who are able to usher them into the kingdom, they're few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest for more workers. And here's the thing, as they are praying, as Jesus is calling them to pray, then he says immediately after the prayer uh, command, he says, Go, I'm sending you out. That's interesting. Pray for workers, now you go. You know, prayer is important, but prayer is always followed by action. Jesus had sent a smaller group out with similar instructions. If you just go one chapter before what we read to um, Luke chapter nine, you read in verse one, it says, Jesus, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Following Jesus, when the, when the first time he, he called his disciples, the 12, he sent them out. And now he's sending out 72. So if anyone might think that going is only for a select few, that going was just for the 12, that going is just for the professionals, that, that going is, is only for the ones who are highly trained, Jesus is teaching us here, no, going is for every disciple. He sends out all 72 of them. If you are going to engineering school, uh, I would expect that at some point you will become an engineer. If you go to driving school, I expect that at some point you drive a car. If you go to the police academy, I expect that at some point you become a police officer. And if you become a disciple of Jesus, at some point you're going to be a disciple maker. You're going to be one who calls others to come into the fold, to belong, to believe, and to become. The church gathered, like we are today, is just part of the picture. The church growing spiritually, it's an important part of the picture. But the rest of the picture is the church going. That's why here at Calvary we talk about the fact that, that we gather for worship, we grow in groups, and then we go. That's important. In, in addressing the Texas Baptist family gathering on Sunday night, 
Pastor Elis Orozco, who former pastor here, talked about how the early church shared Jesus with the world. And I'm going to quote him. He said, they went to where people were and they invited them indiscriminately to fellowship meals in their homes. That's it. It's simple. Those who are against the gospel aren't against the chiladas. Those who might be against Jesus aren't against a carne guisada taco. And then he said, I'm concerned that increasingly the world sees an evangelical church not with arms open wide, but with fists clenched. The natural reaction to the liberalization of the culture around us, he said, is to hunker down and harden around our doctrines and then to purify the church of all those who are critical. And then the world becomes something not for us to love, but to fight against in some ill-conceived, ill-fated, secular culture war. But we're not called to save the culture. He said, I'm called to preach the gospel message. I think Pastor Ellis is right. We're not called to attack the world. We're not called to hunker down within the church as, as if it were some kind of a fortress. We're called to go and love people and to share God's love with them. Following Jesus results in going. Secondly, going requires intentionality. Being effective in God's mission does not happen by accident. Sharing Jesus with others requires intentionality and focus. Jesus gave some very specific instructions when he sent out the 72. Verse four says, do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. In the passage in chapter nine, verse three, he talks about not taking a staff. These are very interesting instructions. If given today, maybe Jesus would have said, travel light. Don't take a backpack. Don't pack a lunch. Turn off your social media. I'm sending you on a very special mission. Now, why did Jesus give those instructions? Well, I believe that it had to do with the urgency, with the priority, and with the nature of their mission. Making preparations for the trip would delay them. He wanted them to get on with it immediately. Stopping to greet people along the way would, would also uh, distract them, perhaps. Slow them down. There was a lot of ground to cover, a lot of villages to go to in a short period of time. Going requires intentionality because of the urgency of the mission. Traveling light is also a sign of, of the dedication to the task. In those days, rabbis had a rule that when they went into the temple, people shouldn't take shoes, extra shoes, or a bag, or a staff. It was a way of saying, we, we, we're not here to do any other business but the business of God. We're here to worship. We're, we're dedicated to the task <clears throat> of serving God. And that's what Jesus wanted his disciples to do, to be dedicated to the mission. Going requires intentionality because of the priority of the task. Excuse me. <clears throat> Additionally, traveling light spoke to the nature of the task. See, the 72 were not going to exert authority or offer financial solutions to those that they were going to. They, they were not there to be paternalistic, showing off their possessions or their position. A few weeks ago, I had an invitation from uh, Pastor Rick Warren, pastor, former pastor of Saddleback Church in Southern California, author of The Purpose Driven Life. And uh, he wanted me and Craig Christina to go and talk about finishing the task, which is uh, this initiative to 
to take the gospel to the whole world by the year 2033. And, and so I flew two weeks ago to Southern California and talked to him about this initiative and how we could collaborate and, uh, as a convention and, and as churches in this task. But he was so eager to show me his library. He has, he's got a humongous library. And so uh, uh, we went in there, he showed me the books, he showed me the artifacts that he has. He had a story about every book, about every artifact that was gospel uh, directed, that was, that was somehow mission uh, related. And, and so as, as we were going and listening to the stories, he, he said, hold this staff, hold this rod. And he says, this is the actual rod that Charlton Heston used in the movie, The Ten Commandments. And I thought, well, that's really cool. And then he said, uh, you know, when, when uh, Moses had his staff because he was a shepherd and he was in front of uh, a Pharaoh, he, God asked him to put his staff down and then God used it in a miraculous way. And then after God used it, then, then Moses picked it up. And, and from there on, it was not Moses' staff, but it was the rod of God. Uh, it, it was what God would use as Moses had surrendered his being a shepherd on his own right. And he said, the reason Jesus didn't allow his disciples to take a staff is because he didn't want them to be seen as those who would exert authority, but as those who identified with him. And he said, whenever we go into a new place, a new village to take the gospel, we don't go as the ones who know it all or have it all. We go as servants. We have teachers that say, we are here to serve you. Going requires intentionality because of the nature of the task. We're not exerting authority over others. We're not telling people that we know better, that we're better. We're simply going to serve in the name of Jesus. We're not throwing money at their problems, but we're introducing them to the king. Third, the goer rests on his provision. Some of you know, if you know me, if you've been close to me, you know that uh, for two years, I have been preparing for the family gathering here in McAllen. There was a lot of preparations, a lot of planning, a lot of meetings uh, that took place to, to make it happen. And, and so uh, we've been working for it. And then finally got here last Sunday and I got sick. I had a, a, a sore throat that was killing me and I had a cough that wouldn't stop. I took so many medicines. I don't even remember what medicines I took. I probably went through about 40 cough drops during those couple of days and I drank hot teas and honey and all kinds of things. And uh, on Sunday night and Monday night, I was thinking I have to translate a message. I have to moderate business sessions. I have to deliver a presidential address. I have to preach the missions banquet. I have to lead a workshop. I need my voice. I don't know if you noticed that God, but I need my voice. And so uh, I slept very little Sunday night and Monday night because my cough wouldn't let me sleep. So as I was up praying, I said, God, if you want me to do this, then I know you'll give me the ability to do it. And if you want somebody else to do it, then that, that's okay, but, but I just need you right now. And uh, I was able to make all of my commitments except for one. I had, I'd had a plan B for all of them, but... I only had to use plan B on Sunday night and the rest of the time I was able to do what I was supposed to do. The moment that I was up on stage, I had just enough voice to do what I needed to do. And then immediately as I would get off stage, I would lose my voice. And so just from event to event. And the Lord reminded me during those days, 
that I should rely less on my preparation and that I should rely more on his provision. There's nothing wrong with preparing, but we must first and foremost rely on God and his provision. When Jesus tells his disciples to travel light, part of the purpose of that is so that they would learn to rely on God's provision. That's further demonstrated by his instruction regarding their lodging and meals. Look at what uh, chapter 10, verse 5 says. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. God had prepared homes where that would welcome these traveling preachers. And those homes would be considered homes of peace or people of peace. They would receive the message and the messenger. They would, they would give lodging and meals. There were some homes that would not receive them. And when the disciples would pronounce peace on them, and if they did not receive them, that peace would return to them. That means that God was going to give peace and blessing to his disciples regardless. They didn't have to feel bad about all of the meals that they would be served because that was God's provision for them. That's how God provides for his workers. Neither did they have to go from house to house. They could stay in the one house because that's the one house that God had prepared. You see, when God sends us to share Jesus with others, it is because he has prepared people of peace that will receive the message. Not everyone is a person of peace. Not everyone will receive the message, but there are people out there that God has prepared to receive the message and the messenger. And then God will provide everything that we need. We need not worry about what we don't have or what we're lacking, whether it's preparation or training or knowledge or resources. If God is calling you to go, if the Spirit is leading you to go, he will provide everything you need. Pastor Rick told me a story about his wife uh, back in their seminary days when they were at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth back in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, well, really, actually, late 70s only. Uh, he was supplying the pulpit at a church in Dallas. It was a, a well-established church, a good-sized church. And so when he graduated from seminary, they liked him so much that they asked if he would stay and be their pastor. And uh, that would have been a smooth move from Fort Worth to Dallas and established church and all. But Rick said, no, God has called me to start a new church in Southern California. And that's what we need to do. So he packed his things, his family, very, whatever they had, whatever they possess, graduated from seminary. They moved to Southern California. They didn't have a house. They didn't have much money. They didn't have a job. Uh, and, uh, and somehow they... God began to provide for them a home and so forth. And as they were preparing to open a church, Kay, his wife, went to a garage sale and she saw some items that would be good for the nursery, for the children's nursery. And, uh, and she wanted uh, all of that. And so she asked the person at the garage sale, how much would it be for all of this? And he said, $72.50. And she got something out that you may not be familiar with. It's called a checkbook. And, and she wrote a check for $72.50 and gave it to them. And Rick says she knew that that was almost all the money that we had in the bank. So she took that nursery equipment home and, 
The next day, they got a letter from a, a, an elderly lady at the church where he had been supplying the pulpit in Dallas. She'd been thinking about them, praying for them, wondering where they were. She found out their address and, and mailed them this letter. And in the letter, she sent the check for $72.50. And he says, if that's not God providing exactly what we needed, then I don't know what is. See, when God sends us to share his love with others, he will provide everything that we need. The goer rests on his provision. And then fourth and final, the gospel resounds in word and deed. Preaching the gospel requires both word, words and deeds. Explaining the plan of salvation without caring for the person is an incomplete gospel. Serving people's human needs without telling them what Christ did on the cross is an incomplete gospel. The gospel requires that we, that we preach the whole gospel to the whole person. That's what Jesus preached. That's what he commanded his disciples to do. Look at verse 9 again of Luke 10. It says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. You see, Jesus tells them, care for their physical needs first and then share the good news. The kingdom of God has come near you. The kingdom of God is, is where God is restoring wholeness. It, it is complete. Proclaiming the gospel is more than just repeating words to secure that somebody makes a commitment. Proclaiming the gospel is more than offering people a ticket to heaven when they die. You see, when Jesus saw people, he didn't just see their spirit. He saw them as whole people. He saw them with physical needs and emotional needs and, and, and with spiritual needs, of course. And he, had, he showed concern for them. And that's what he taught his disciples to do, to care for the whole person. It's a, a holistic mission that he sends them to. The gospel resounds in word and deed. This year, Texas Baptists are celebrating 55 years of river ministry. I don't know if you're familiar with river ministry. And I don't know if you know the history of that, but in 1967, Hurricane Beulah assaulted the Rio Grande Valley. It was a Category 5 hurricane with wind speeds of about 162 miles that took the lives of 688 people. It cost $235 million in 1967 dollars in damage. The floods wiped out entire colonias. And in some ways, uh, the, the map of the Rio Grande Valley was redrawn. Earlier that year, providentially, the Baptist General Convention of Texas had talked about how can we minister in the Rio Grande Valley. This was before the hurricane. But as soon as the hurricane came through, people were already poised financially and in attitude and in willingness to come to the valley. So they came to the valley to offer aid to meet human needs and to share the message of the gospel of Jesus. That happened in 1967. For the last 55 years, Texas Baptists have continued to show the love of God to people along both sides of the border with medical help, agricultural assistance, clean water, ministry to migrants, distribution of food and clothing, and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus. That's the gospel of the kingdom. It's a gospel of word and deed. Jesus calls each of us to go. 
Each follower of Jesus is to go. Sometimes going means going overseas. We had in our 930 service Andy Swanson, who serves in Southeast Asia. And, and we have other people in our church who, who, who have gone overseas and, and served there. That's going sometimes. Sometimes going means going on a short-term mission trip. We have a team right now in Germany. We have people in the Philippines right now. And you might think about you going sometime as we plan our trips for 2024. You might say, maybe it's time for me to go. Going on a short-term mission trip is it's a life-changing experience. I recommend it. Sometimes going means sharing the gospel with people you've never met. We have training and teams in our church read by, led by Ronald Sanchez, Jose Luis Jimenez, who, who go to places uh, to share the message of the gospel with people they've never met. That's, that's a thrilling experience and to, to see people come to Christ that way. Maybe you need to consider being a part of a training or, or a team like that. Sometimes going means simply having spiritual conversations with people you already know, with your neighbor, with the person that you work with, with a friend, with a family member. Sometimes going means that you lead your grow group to be intentional about reaching those who are not in the group, about reaching people who don't know Christ. I was so thrilled to receive a message this week from one of the members of our grow group. Uh, they've been inviting this young lady uh, to, to some events. And, um, and, and then when it was time to go to Camp Sefer, they helped make it possible for her to go. And this week at Camp Sefer, she trusted Christ as her Savior and Lord. And she's going to be baptized in the swimming pool sometime this week. Sometimes going looks like that. Going may look different for each one of us, but all of us are called to go. Whatever going looks like for you, the invitation, the call for you is to be a part of it. All in all, this is what it means. Going means this, that the gospel has to go outside of these four walls. The gospel is not to stay here. That this is not the only place where the gospel should be proclaimed. That this is a place where we come to be reminded that the gospel is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. And that you and I get to go out of this place. We go and we take that love of God that transforms lives, that changes people, that ushers them into the kingdom of God that has come near. Will you go? Pray with me. Father, I thank you for Jesus and his call on our lives, for his call to belong, his call to believe, his call to become. And particularly today, he's called to go. Father, thank you for, for those who have obeyed that command and have gone and for all those who have come to Christ because of their obedience. But I know that You've called every follower here to go. And some of us still haven't done it. Father, I pray that today we would respond in faith and we would say, Lord, I want to go. Show me what that looks like for me. If it's signing up for a short-term mission trip, if it's joining an evangelism team, if it's simply sharing the gospel, serving my neighbors, my friends, if it's helping my grow group be intentional 
about evangelism, about loving people who don't know you, but that we would make a commitment today to be goers, that as we pray for workers for the harvest, that we would say, here am I, Lord, I'm a worker. I'll go into the harvest. Father, if there's anyone here who, who's not a follower of Jesus yet, who you're calling to come and follow you, that the Spirit of God will give them conviction of their need for forgiveness and that Jesus died for them, that what he did on the cross is enough. Father, would you draw people to you, even now?